Welcome to Steam Powered, where I have conversations with women in Steam to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Dr. Carly Howard. Carly is an outer solar system scientist whose main interest lies in the surface properties of icy worlds. Join us as we talk about her journey to planetary sciences, icy worlds, and the upcoming NASA Lucy mission. so much for joining me today, Carly. It's so great to have you speaking with me on Steam Power today. Thanks for inviting me. It's fun to be here. Excellent. So you started off with business and physics, which I think is a cool combination. Uh, what made you kind of, well, what was your interest in physics to begin with? I've always liked questions, solving questions, trying to understand how things work. Uh, given given a screwdriver and electronics, I'm likely to take it apart. You know, one of those people. So uh, Excellent. I- I, yeah, I enjoyed science at school and um, physics in particular. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do at uni. And um, the advice I was given was do something you like because you're going to be doing it for a while. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's really nice because there's lots of things that, you know, you can go into afterwards. It's not like if you do physics, you're a physicist for the rest of your life. Right. And so um, it, physics and management studies in particular seemed like it had a lot of good applications. And for, a, you know, 17, 18 year old, not really sure what I want to do with my life, but know that I, I wanted to go to university and, and have a chance at, at least doing a degree. That seemed like a, you know, sort of feeding into the inter- natural interests that I had, but also keeping my options open in case I wanted to go into business or finance or, you know, lots of the other things that people yeah. in physics go on to do. So uh, it was kind of fun as well to do because it, it you know, it, it meant that I was moving in the physics crowd and having physics friends, but also meeting people from other disciplines that had chosen to do this sort of add-on of business. So people from engineering, yeah. people from the business school and things like that. So it was it was a really, it was nice because, you know, you sort of doing physics, doing physics, and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm doing accountancy this afternoon, which is, you know, still sort of very maths space, obviously, but um, with a very different bent to it. So I, I really enjoyed the degree and I, I, I'd recommend those sort of joint degrees, anyone thinking about it, because it just, at that point, just keeping your options open is a really good thing to do. Yeah, brilliant. It's it's such a good idea because, you know, you, there, you know, business you can use anywhere. Like it, it's so applicable in so many places, so many, and so portable as well. And, you know, when I was at uni, I was doing computer science, like it didn't occur to me to do that kind of combination. Mm-hmm. And it was only like, Afterwards, I did an Asian studies degree as well because I'm crazy. Um, but I wanted to add some business units on as well. And I thought that would make it a bit more flexible, more useful. And I had to fight for it. Like I literally mm. had to argue to be able to add on these business units to be able to augment the degree because, you know, they they were just very rigid about wanting that. And, you know, there are so many options now. And, you know, it's, it's just great that people are thinking about the fact that you need to be able to have these extra skills. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's, it, the universities are sort of understanding that, you know, you, you want to equip, you want to equip these young people that are, are frankly right now paying all this money to go to university to have, yeah. to make it worth it. Right. You need to be able to come out the other side and get a job that, that helps you pay off the loans you've just accrued. And, and so things <laughs> that are applicable to the real world is good. And, even stay, so I went on to stay in science, but, you know, having that idea of a business background, you know, accounts, a lot of what I do is project management and, and it never occurred to me that being a professional science means that you're a project manager. And so having that business background, even if you stay in science is really useful budget, you know, coming up with budgets, working through, you know, how to, 
how to budget a five-year multi-million dollar grant isn't necessarily <laughs> obvious, right? So uh, it, no. it's, proved, it's proved very useful in ways that I had no idea about when I was 18 and applying for degrees. So yeah, definitely, definitely worked out for me. That was, that was lucky. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was very lucky. And yeah, and it is a, it is a thing that people will forget. Like you think that you become a scientist, you just do research, you can hunker down and that's what you have to focus on. But no, you've got to do all of these other boring, dry things to do with project management and business administration and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, if you're hiring postdocs, you're hiring students, you're responsible for them as employees, right? You're responsible for yeah. making sure that they have a career option ahead of them. You can't just hire them for six months and go, oh dear, we've run out of money. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not a responsible thing to do. And so, yeah, it's definitely a, an important trait. And I, I think as we, uh, certainly as I move through my career, that's a piece of advice I'd give people is, you know, always, always think about sort of the business applications of what you're doing because you just never know you just never know yeah you definitely don't know so yeah from that what like because you said you didn't really know where you're going to take physics so what led to planetary sciences then <laughs> so, so I, I grew up in Essex and if you're not familiar with the UK it's just northeast of London and um, there's not a lot of planetary science there. That's a fair thing to say. You know, it was sort of not not an environment. I didn't grow up in a you know, with SpaceX down the road or anything like that. You know, it's a sort of rural farming <laughs> community when I was a kid, and um, I just followed things that interested me, and somehow that weaved me into planetary science. And I, I think you know, if I'd have if I'd have been, there easily could have been a different set of solutions that led me into something else. But I, I'm very happy with where I am, and it's been a lot of fun. And I, like I say, I really like problem solving and that was that was something that just pushed me into um planetary because there are so many unknown questions and it's yes. sort of it's a great way of exploring you know so much of the earth has now been explored and there are still some frontiers but largely we we know most of it we have satellites you know we have deep sea submarines lots of it's been explored um but that's not true of the outer solar system and so it's it's kind of a nice way of exploring safely you know you're sitting sitting in a comfortable <laughs> chair indoors <laughs> sending yes, space robots out to go and go and explore the universe and um that was pretty fun it's been it's just been something that's continually changing and um challenging and exciting so it's i think the questions drew me in but really the exploration kept me there it's been it's been pretty cool that is very cool so given that you know you didn't really have much exposure to you know planetary space kind of exploration like how, how did you get there at uni? <laughs> so, so my degree was uh, <laughs> at the local university. I, it wasn't, um, and so I, uh, I stayed in Essex. I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Essex. So I had a, I, I just went through the regular, you know, school system in the UK. I didn't go to a private school. I guess it'd be called public schools here, but, um, and. And then went in and did physics. That was sort of following just what I liked at school and not really knowing where it was going to lead me. But I specialized in my master's year, which is quite common. So I did a three-year undergraduate um, bachelor's. And then when I was thinking about what the next steps were, as I was applying for jobs at the same time, it's sort of, again, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And there was a really cool master's um, at University College London. And it, it kind of coincided with, I had a... <laughs> I had a I had a major car accident. Someone drove into the back of me, and um, I, I ended up getting quite a large payout, which was 
coincided with sort of trying to figure out what to do. So I've put plowed all that money into doing a master's, which I'd never have been able to afford to do normally. So it was a bit of a random wow. random way in. So yeah, the, yeah. the car was written off and I, I, I got injured. And anyway, um, the check came through and I basically just then went on accommodation and tuition fees. And so I did a master's in something that just looked really interesting to me. It was space science. And it wow. was just that idea of getting to explore and, and do something different. And I mean, at the time, there was no big downside to have doing a master's you know I was already in the university system um it meant delaying yeah. getting a proper job for a year and it meant that I it cost me some money but it was also a new experience I was moving to London and you know a, a different course and um so for me it was just a way of dipping my toe in and it was really fun so at the time it was the early 2000s and the UK had just invested in Beagle 2 which was a Mars lander that was UK led and it was done on an incredibly shoestring budget. And so there was yeah. really no money. So students were allowed to have responsibilities that normally you would never get on a mission because they would be, yeah, it would be no too risky. <laughs> yeah, but they had yeah. no money. So they were sort of willing to, like, <laughs> if you're, if you're going to work, we'll, we'll let you do it. So I got to do um, nice. some hardware development uh, for a lander, which would never normally be easily accessible at least to, to a student level and it was just really fun yeah you know, so um the, the the cameras were being developed by university college london and i got they wanted a wiper that went on the cameras mars is very dusty they wanted something just a manual wiper like think you know cut what windscreen wiper on a car to just get rid of the dust right just something <laughs> manual to literally scrape off the dust and i yeah. just got to test these different materials like what's the best wiper for getting rid of dust on mars that was sort of the question that was posed and it was just yeah. really, it was just a really fun project. And that from there, I just, I thought, well, this, this looks all right. And started applying for PhDs to kind of stay, stay in and stop, carry on the research again, not really knowing if I wanted to be in academia per se, but like, this is interesting. I'm intrigued. Like, let me, let yeah. me find out more and put in a few um, applications and I, I got a studentship to do it. So that again, was a really big thing. I don't come from money. I could never have afforded to pay my own PhD if I hadn't have got sponsorship from the UK government. Again, I, I, it's just not a dream I could have afforded to follow. And so yeah. I was lucky enough to, to get some funding and, um, and I was able to do it. And so it was, it was sort of a bit of coincidence and luck. And I don't know, just, just, the universe pushed me Giving in that way, if you like, or whatever it is you want to think about. But yeah, I mean, it could yeah. have easily have ended up with a different set of situations, but it's been really fun. And I've really, I've really enjoyed it. I, my, my mum blames Doctor Who. I was a, she was a, she was a, <laughs> a closet geek, you know, not, she's not yep. um, mathematically trained at all. She's not a scientist. She's a, actually a social worker now. So, but um, we, we, we were pretty religious on our Doctor Who watching and uh, she, she firmly blames Doctor Who for, for all this shenanigans. <laughs> so maybe there's a bit of truth in that. <laughs> and yeah. clearly they've achieved the objective because it was meant to be making science more accessible, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, it was a little bit scary you know, when you're a kid. It's still, it's still a little bit yeah. scary, I think. But um, it was. I think it was. <laughs> it, it, just, it just showed the possibilities, right, of exploration and, and travel. And, and I think. I'm glad that they've moved into a regime where the, the companions are slightly more hands-on than, than they were. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and it, we finally have a female doctor, which I'm very excited about. And yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it achieved its aim for me, at least. It was um, definitely a, a gateway Absolutely. into to making science cool and, and fun and accessible. 
That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Like, you never know what those influences are going to lead you to once you actually start <laughs> trying stuff out. No, my mum was great. Right, we used to. She used to come up with. We we didn't have any money. You know, my my dad. Um, well, my dad worked hard. He's an electrician, but you know, it's just we were we were we weren't loaded and she used to make all these costumes like washing up bottles covered in covered in um, tinfoil became like air backpacks you know and it was all she was just very inventive very um happy to just try and find ways to indulge <laughs> indulge oh, weird kids. that's brilliant and, yeah lots of boot sale crazy outfits that became alien outfits <laughs> and you know it was, it was all good yeah it was, it was a lot of fun so um, definitely my oh, mum and, awesome. and some Doctor Who influences to, to blame there too. <laughs> That's just a natural tendency to like, I'm a maths geek. I, I like numbers. I like, they, they make sense to me and that sort of all fitted together really. So a bit of a perfect storm. <laughs> that is very cool. So when you were doing the wiper stuff, like with physics, because that's not my area, I didn't know, you know, whether you get into the hardware stuff and the, you know, instrumentation so is that something that they covered when you were doing the course and you just kind of applied those skills or were you just winging it <laughs> just winging it yeah i mean there's not a course between <laughs> wipers on mars right that's not something you oh no <laughs> but, um you know i mean we've done some done some things about sort of you know basic basic sort of introduction to planetary science so you know what's the weather like on mars what what are the dust conditions what do we what do we know and so we've done that and then like most research you just sort of go in with what you know and you try and apply that the best you can and you you do some trial and error stuff so we had some mass simulants so they sort of there's there's we know a little bit about the composition and you could infer some stuff and and so you've got there's these ideas that you've got like basically soil mass soil but it's not really mass soil it's like what we think mass soil might look like and then you stick it on a window and start wiping <laughs> different things and like, <laughs> this one works this one doesn't like you know this one scratches the glass this one doesn't you know those sorts of things so it's uh it's a, a bit of what you know a bit of student you know, work <laughs> best yeah best effort you know just give it a try and see what happens um nice and so yeah it, you know and then it gets more and more complicated so first of all you you start in a lab and then you go well okay but you know woods but, but really we'll be working in much more close to a vacuum than earth pressure so then do you move into a chamber like you know you sort of make it gradually every, that's the trouble with research is you start off at one point <laughs> and, 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 and it, every time you can make it a little bit better, a little bit more realistic. And where do you stop? And that's, that's a challenge that I think a lot of us face is, you know, knowing where to stop and write things up is always hard, but um, yeah, it was, it was definitely fun. And it was one of those things, I think as a, you know, sort of a younger early career scientist, that's very tactile, right? Like it's, it's not, I, I like problems where I can really visualize what's going on. And that's why I didn't really go into like, magnetospheric physics or i don't know lots of also sort of those or higher end like theoretical physics where you can't really picture it but the idea of like there's dust it's on a lens you need to get rid of dust <laughs> is very easy <laughs> to picture and i think it's very it, tangible a, yeah it's very tangible it's very easy to relate to and um that that appealed to me so that was pretty fun that is cool so from there how did you get from wipers to liking <laughs> like having a focus on icy worlds, like that's a very specific focus. <laughs> it is a very specific, I mean, you've got to focus on something, right? But um, so again, very tangential. So I was applying for PhDs and there was a PhD studentship. So when I was applying, 
most of the PhDs had specific projects. So you'd look up and they'd say, we have funding for somebody to do this project. And you read the project, you go, that appeals to me, that doesn't. Um, okay, I'll apply or not apply, right? And one of the ones that came up was um, for a project that was half in the US based at um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a NASA facility at, um, in LA. And the other half was at the University of Oxford. And it was paid for by, sponsored by the US government, uh, sorry, the UK government with some US funding. And, and it just hit the right notes for me. Like I thought that'd be incredibly exciting. You know, I'd never, never been to Oxford, didn't think I stood a chance, you know, girl, comprehensive, from Essex, <laughs> like just, <laughs> but you know, you think, well, whack an application in. The worst they can say is no. So I, I yeah. did that, and um, then they invited me for an interview, and I thought, well, the worst that can happen is I get a lunch out in Oxford. Like that, that sounded all right. Yeah. So went and interviewed <laughs> and and got a lunch out in Oxford, and then was offered the gig, and so thought, well, I'll go, and if it's if it's just full of people that I can't relate to or I don't like it, like no harm, no foul, right? Like give it a try. Yeah. And it was just really nice it was really fun um great group of people really diverse backgrounds um which wasn't what i was expecting i was expecting it to be full of snobs people that wouldn't like me people that i couldn't relate to you know but it wasn't at all it was just people that were really interested in understanding the world and fascinated by questions and how to figure them out and and that was really nice and it was a really friendly environment in which to study and um so it smashed all my expectations of what these sort of you know, Oxbridge universities were like. And um, <laughs> and then I got to go, you know, a few months a year to hang out in L.A., got a NASA badge, messed around in a lab out there with a really wonderful advisor that um, was sort of, I don't know, he's, I feel like he was you know, my adopted granddad. He was just really sweet <laughs> to his students and really nurturing and really um I don't know. In, in this day and age, he was really appropriate, which sounds like it's a baseline. But, you know, it was just really, <laughs> when you're working in a lab with someone at weekends, evenings, sometimes like the, the, the experiments would go long. They would go into the middle of the night. Like you are incredibly vulnerable as a female student or as a student, but especially as a female student. And to just to be in a, to be working with someone that was just completely professional, very, very kind, very um, great mentor. He was a really great mentor, made made such a world of difference to me. And um, he really, yeah. um, it was just great mentorship. And I really continue to appreciate the, the effort and work that he put into to allowing me to, you know, build up his lab and to work with him and um, to benefit from that. So uh, just, uh, just again, just a lot of luck, like work, getting to work with great people without knowing them, you know, just applying for things and just yeah. trying them out. And but it was it was a really fun project because I'd get to, you know, be in the States and have this experience that, frankly, not many people do. Right. Like my, I'd, I'd been yeah. to the US once before that. And all of a sudden I was there for, you know, a few months with a hotel and a car and in L.A. And, you know, it's February and it's raining in the UK. But here I am. You know, on the, <laughs> it's Saturday morning and I'm driving to the beach because why not? And I don't know. It was just, just yeah. sort of, if nothing else comes of it, this is just this really amazing experience and just enjoy the experience. And and then, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's all good. And I think that's just been my mantra each step, like just doing the things that I, I like. Follow what you're interested in and just enjoy enjoy the opportunity. And, you know, if you're enjoying it, it'll probably work out. It's uh, it's all good. So, um, so yeah, I stayed on Oxford. That's a very chill outlook. That's great. <laughs> well, I think... I, I, I mean, when you sort of feel like you've snuck in, I think maybe it's just, I think lots of people feel like they don't, they've snuck into their position, that they don't really, 
uh, there's a word for it, isn't there? Um, oh, the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. Thank you. And, and that was right yeah. with me, right? I just felt like I, at all points, like, well, because because I did business and not straight physics, maybe my course was easier. So when I got a first, maybe it was because that course, like if I'd have done straight physics, maybe I wouldn't have got a first. And that got me into my master's. And okay, I got distinction in my master's, but you know, I got a lot of great supervision. And so maybe that was the reason. And then I got into physics at Oxford and, and like, well, it, and then I, I had really great supervision there. And, you know, I had two mentors and some people only have one mentor. And so, so maybe that was the reason I passed my PhD. And you, just, <laughs> you can come up with these excuses. And if it was in someone else, you'd go, look, you're, you're just doing something and you've worked hard and you're doing something yeah. that you're good at. And just, you're supposed to be doing this. This is all working but because it's you. You're sort of like, well, I'm sure someone else would do it much better than me. And, you know, I just, so at, at every point, I've just been like, well, I'll try it. And, and then when someone realizes that, she shouldn't really be doing this because you know you're not, not supposed to be here are you love like, <laughs> and then I'll just go okay thank you very much and I'll leave and so it's just been and that's been my career really I'm just sort of trying to <laughs> oh my and, goodness and hopefully it's it's but it's working out so I'm just going to carry on faking it and and we'll see how it goes <laughs> um, so, so far so good it's been 20 years and no one's called me out on it yet so um, maybe I'm in the clear <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure you've been um, in the clear for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah so I, I thought well I'll, I'll just stay on and you know do this postdoc and see just see where I want to go with it, really. Just take a bit of time and, and think about it. And at the time, I was working on a mission called Cassini, which was at Saturn. And I was analyzing data that was in the thermal. And uh, a, um, a, a PhD, it was sort of solving a two-body problem a little bit. Like I, um, I was with someone at the time, and we were looking about where where we could both get jobs, right? It's sort of a classic science problem is you there's, you're, you're in a couple, and you're in different fields, and you both want a career and so how do you both find jobs in the same place that's you know going to further your career and um, so we'd been looking at various solutions to this and, and one that came up was moving to boulder colorado which is um just outside of denver in the middle of the states and um it it solved the two-body problem um we'd both end up with jobs that were were you know good career moves but also the salaries in the us are much higher for anyone working in science you'll, you'll know that it's about the factor of two different yeah which you know when you don't come from money and you're looking to try and buy a house in the uk is very appealing because i just <laughs> didn't have any savings and so i couldn't buy a house because i didn't have a deposit so i thought well if you move to the states um and work if you're on a certain type of visa you don't pay tax for two years so okay let's go let's move let's Say, take the money and run basically let's go to this salary that's two times higher with no tax uh you know, earn that money put it in a bank account come back buy a house but then we get there and you know like like all good stories the twist is that we broke up whilst we were there and uh i then met my now american husband the, the american boyfriend and ended up staying for a decade but you know you just you <laughs> take you and so I, yeah. I stayed with this thermal imager and, and moved to colorado and um it was just a blast. I, I went to the Southwest Research Institute, which I hadn't really heard of, but it turns out they're just this really, you know, people, there's some institutions that just punch above their weight. It's about 80 people. Yeah. But yet I think they're now running four missions out of that office, which is just an astounding amount. And they were just, it is, it, it was just like 80 planetary scientists. Most, most, you know, universities have maybe two or three if, if it's a planetary scientist, yes. but 80 it was just like, oh, like if you're interested in this, there's probably someone that does it. You're interested in that, there's someone that does it. Yeah. And 
it was just this place where I just I don't know it was it was just really exciting to be in and it's still exciting to to be in it and a really dynamic really um just lovely people as well that they've made a point of hiring people that are just not jerks and it's it's (laughs) environment to work in really nice it's like oh wait you're nice and you like you like space I like space you like going to the pub and having a beer. I like going to the pub and having a beer. We should <laughs> and it's just like full of those people. And it's just really nice. And so um, huh. that was the, the last decade. It just, when you work with good people and you're surrounded by excellence, you know, it's just, it makes, it makes just working fun. And um, I got to be involved in some missions that were just amazing missions, like going out to investigate Pluto. That was a real, you know, life highlight and um subsequently i'm on lucy which is a a new mission that will launch this year in august uh, in october 2021 um to go and look at asteroids near jupiter and that's been again a really just fun fun new branch of science that wasn't my science but i you know i'd been involved in a similar instrument before and so i got to play on this too so it's just like the planetary science is fun because it just keeps changing you don't it, yesterday yeah. is not the same as you know today and it won't be the same as tomorrow and that that appeals to me uh so that's that's nice um so it's been yeah it's good and and now I'm I'm part-time back at Oxford so I uh got a professorship in July last year which you know July 2020 as um well, 2020 <laughs> full, full stops a bit of a train wreck right so it's been a it's been yeah. an interesting transition but um yeah it'll be it'll be fun when things open up again and I can be back in back in the department and uh, getting my feet under me but it's been having spent the last 12 years in the States, it's quite interesting to relearn the European way of doing things. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the culture's different and it's, it's interesting to be back. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's been a fun adventure. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's just, no, no one tells you like, Oh, if you go into planetary science, you'll get these experiences. Like I just thought it was interesting and there were questions and I liked it, but you know, the, three years two years ago two years ago we flew past a small classical Kuiper belt object um so Kuiper belt is region of space that sort of Pluto inhabits so very long way from the earth and um after New Horizons flew past Pluto uh we went on to look at a, a very different type of object in this same region of space and that happened to occur on New Year's Eve because planetary missions have to wreck holidays that's like a rule and so um <laughs> we we went over with my in-laws and my parents and um spent one New Year's Eve investigating this classical Kuiper object and we took our then nice she must have been three at the time our three-year-old and uh Brian May the lead who's the lead guitarist from Queen happens to be on the team He's an astrophysicist. And, um, <laughs> yes. And so he he released a song, and there's my three year old, you know, at this this very small event with Brian May releasing a song, and it was like, no one said when you go into planetary science you get to be <laughs> pop stars. Like that wasn't a thing. No one said, oh, by the way, you know, these are some of the perks. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I say, it's just a really weird career. And my, my, my kids think it's perfectly normal. Like, oh, yes, we're going to see a rocket go up in October and we'll be, you know, guests at this rocket launch. Like, that's not normal. That's just not a normal childhood experience. <laughs> like, I'm trying to explain to a teacher, well, I'd, I'd like to take her out of school because, you know, we're going to go and see a rocket launch. And she's like, well, rockets launch quite a lot. Can't you go into school holidays? It's like, no, my husband and I both work this mission. Like, like this isn't just eight. Like this is the rocket launch that we've. Been, this is not like, just think, an excursion. <laughs> this is the culmination of our work. <laughs> so 
so and they're like really you're like yeah really like we're weird people so it's just it's just (laughs) it it, it just continues to be it uh, just an amazing experience but also strange and you know but it's just like a lot of other jobs, right? Most of my day is spent checking email and banging my head on the table because I wrote a piece of code and I missed that bug on line two. And now I have to rewrite everything. <laughs> and oh my goodness. So, so it's this mixture of the very mundane and, and the very exciting. But uh, yeah, but our, our kids, our kids have this weird upbringing where, you know, half their T-shirts are NASA T-shirts because yeah every Why time not? we go to a conference you're like oh but it's so adorable like they have to have that <laughs> it's one. so cute you know? <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> so yeah it's it's all good um, but it's it's fun and um yeah i hope it continues because i'm enjoying it oh hope yeah no one realizes that I, that, way. <laughs> <laughs> that I sort of snuck in when they was looking <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's yeah. not going to be a problem anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see there's that imposter syndrome <laughs> it's it's a tough one i tell you it's a, it's just a tough one and um yeah i think i, I didn't re- i was really relieved when i knew it had a name because it was just this sort of thing i was feeling for a long time it's like wait oh you don't feel like you belong either oh that's nice <laughs> like <laughs> i thought it was just me and everyone else knew exactly what they were doing <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm glad it has a name and that we're talking about it i think it's helpful oh yeah definitely yeah like I think they were saying that about 40% of people experience this. It's like, wow, really? You think you don't belong here either? Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just amazed that 60% of people do think they belong here. That's a level of egotism that I just, I aspire to. <laughs> yeah. I would like that level of confidence. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe by the time I retire. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps then, perhaps not. Perhaps then, yeah. Oh, yes. So how do you get a professorship? <laughs> <laughs> how, does one, how does one do that? Um, so yes. it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable question. So it's a lot like any other job application. <laughs> they, they put them out and you apply. Um, the things you need to tell them about are probably less typical. Um, so, of course, teaching, your teaching experience, your teaching passions, like how... Um, how do you like to teach? There's sort of different, you know, ethoses within teaching. You know, how do you engage students? How how would you try and work with students that are struggling? Um, those sorts of things. So there's usually a, a teaching aspect to it. You know, what are you willing to teach? What what would you be less comfortable teaching? Um, you know, physics mm-hmm. is a broad subject. I I'm currently teaching optics and electromagnetism. That was kind of interesting. And again, like imposter syndrome rife. You know, sort of think well. I'll put in an application, but you know, I'm sure there are much more qualified people to to do this than me. And and then you get the interview and you go, well, you know, okay, they're going to pay for my flights. If nothing else, I'll, I'll go back to Oxford and it'll be nice to be back and I'll get to see my parents and that will be nice. And, you know, okay. And then they offer it to you and you go, what now? <laughs> I went into my, I went and talked, talked to my husband. At the time, our baby was three months old when I applied. I literally wrote the application with my newborn on my on my body like she would nap <laughs> on me and I would be trying to write like on the computer and I don't know and you sort of feel like I'm at this a disadvantage like I'm sure everyone else applying isn't typing their application with a newborn on them right and I'm trying to type quietly like click 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 click, click. <laughs> don't want to wake the baby don't want to wake the baby don't want the baby tick 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 and you think well like I'm, I'm not going to get it because I'm at this inherent disadvantage you know I, I'm sleep deprived <laughs> like my body is hurting the baby's only three months old you know like 
any new parent or any especially any new parent that's given birth will tell you like it takes a while for everything to get back into place like and there I am trying to type this application going well I don't know if it's even worth it they're probably not going to give me the job you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you put this application in and they get the interview and you're like well do I is it like, I literally emailed someone I work with at the university and said is this job meant for somebody because sometimes that's how it works they, they really have someone in mind <laughs> but they have to go like I don't, I'm not going to leave my three-month-old to go to a job application if it's if I don't stand a chance right like that's just not yeah. uh, uh, you know my family comes first and that's not up there I could do the interview over Skype I know I'd be at an inherent disadvantage but if I'm not going to get the job maybe that's okay and they're like no I think you'd stand an okay chance so it's like all right so I you know, I fly over for two nights, which is a lot if you're, you know, I'm, I'm literally pumping on the plane, which is not fun yeah. if you've ever had to do that. Like the person sitting next to me is, you know, like I, it looks, and I'm very aware it looks like I'm, you know, using some electronic <laughs> device under a blanket. You know, you're sort of trying to explain to the person that you think is going to, you know, like this isn't, this isn't anything bad. I'm just, I'm breastfeeding and I have to pump or else my boobs are going to explode. And, you know, the person, the, the <laughs> person next to you is like, lady, like, that was TMI about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> I don't know. And then like, I'm in, I have to pump before my interview and I spill breast milk on my shirt. And so I'm in the bathroom trying to like scrub it out on my oh, shirt no. and dry my shirt under the hand dryer when someone walks in who's clearly on the interview panel. Like, morning, morning. <laughs> nothing to see here i don't know and so at all points this imposter syndrome is like you you know you're at this disadvantage you've you know i don't know i'm jet lagged i'm pumping like i don't know i just i just felt like you know i wrote this application with a baby on me like i don't stand a chance and yet sometimes the world surprises you and you end up with a professorship so yeah so that's cool just throwing your hat in the ring you never know what's going to happen right so and exactly. and I, I must say I applied I tried to be mindful of the fact so the job spec was I didn't meet all the criteria on the job specification I, I just didn't and I I was like okay that rules me out and then I'd, I'd written read this article about how women don't do this so men would go but I <laughs> and yep. thus I should apply and women don't they go but I don't meet two of them and thus I'm not going to get the job. And I was like, no, I'm, I've read this article. I understand how this game works. So I thought <laughs> I'd put my application in and just see what happens. And, and I got the job. So again, just, you know, not being put off, just throwing a hat in the ring and going, you know, maybe, maybe I am what they're looking for. And don't assume, don't tell yourself a story about what it is someone else is looking for. You know, don't, don't rule yourself out before you've even applied. And so, so that's how Absolutely. I got a job. Yeah. And um, yeah, the interview was a bit weird because um, you have to, they wanted to pretend you were teaching. And so they kept asking me all these questions. And at one point I'm trying to rub out the workings on the board. <laughs> I, I'm using the wrong side of the board rubber. That's how, no so I even got that oh, wrong. No. Like I didn't even use the furry bit. I used the back of it and I'm like trying to rub it out. And I'm like, this isn't rubbing out. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, just just turn the board rubber over, just and then it will just rub out. No problem, crazy. And you're here to do hardware that goes into space. That's a board rubber, and you're not getting it right. Like I'm like, no, I'm just I'm just nervous. Sorry, I'm I'm not really oh, this rubbish. Hysterical. Like honestly, so, you know, again, just uh, give it that's a go. Awesome. Who knows what will happen? It does make you wonder how awful the other candidates were. That <laughs> maybe they use the even worse way. <laughs> you, no, never you never maybe know maybe they couldn't you get the lid off know. the pin <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 
I mean, like, even with all of that imposter syndrome, props are actually going for it anyway. I mean, you know, so much of imposter syndrome, even for me, like, um, there'll be things like, no, I couldn't possibly, so I won't, and I don't. But yeah, the fact that yeah. you have those thoughts and you go, well, actually, maybe I'll just try it anyway, just in case, you know, I might slide in. <laughs> and I think it comes from having this dialogue, right, from us talking about it. Like I say, I'd been reading these articles yeah. on, on how women don't put themselves forward for pay rises. They don't apply for jobs that or promotions that are slightly, you know, out of sync with what they do. And, and I was trying to sort of be mindful of that, like, think about, like, okay, this is my natural tendency, but is this right? Is this what my, my go-to is my husband? He's an engineer in aerospace. And so what we do is quite similar. Like, would, would he be put off by that? No, he wouldn't be. He would just, he's one of those people, he's in the 60%. He thinks he's great. And he is, but you know, <laughs> he, he thinks he's great. And he would just think they would be lucky to have me. Like that's his like outlook on life. And I've been trying <laughs> to like channel that a little bit. Like, like no, it's, um, it's worth a go. Cause you just don't, you don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I've been trying to, trying to sort of see it from someone else's point of view to get out of that imposter syndrome. Like Absolutely. No, it's worth a go. Yeah. So. Yeah. Excellent. It's but it's but again it came it comes it that came from other people talking about it from reading articles and being like okay you know this is and that that resonated with me and so I think it's like I say I think it's really important to have these conversations. It is absolutely. So, I mean, with the massive like distance and time zone difference between you know Oxford and Colorado what prompted the application like that seems like a massive juggle like you could have tried for a professorship locally but you know yeah so I I had I, I was offered a professorship locally actually and um and I turned it down oh, a few years ago and at the time apparently I apply for professorships when I'm pumping that's apparently a thing I, I applied for the <laughs> first one just after I had my first baby and and I was offered it but it, it it's hard when you when you're not sure you're in the right spot. So what I didn't want to do was was take on students in Colorado, knowing that I didn't feel like Colorado was home, and I didn't want to take on students and then leave. And so yeah, I was uh, I I kind of toyed around and and um, about whether to to take it there, but I don't know. I my my first my eldest really loves Moana and Moana has this big self of identity. She knows who she is and what she wants to do and where she's supposed to be and where's home. And, and I was, I don't, I've never really found my spot. I've never really found my home. I've moved around a lot and I didn't feel like Colorado was my forever place. And I didn't want to take that, that step there. And so, you know, some, sometimes these decisions are very from the head and sometimes they're from the heart. It and is. so, turning down that one was was a heart decision and coming to Oxford was a heart decision like I felt I felt like it could be my forever place and I wanted to try it yeah sometimes that is the important thing there right now you can't always use your head sometimes you really do need to listen to the heart for that yeah and I mean the the school that I the other school in Colorado is a good school like they do a lot of planetary science and there's some really lovely people that I'd been a lot of fun to work with um so I, I still have mixed feelings about turning turning it down, but you know what's what's done is done, and um, yeah, we'll see see how this new position works out. And it's awesome that you get to actually kind of go back home for a bit, anyway, just to try it out. Yeah, That's cool. it, it's such a it's such a privilege, and um, 
it's just been really sucky timing. You know, anyone that started a new job in the last year will attest that it's just a rubbish time to start a new job because you know, the nice thing about new jobs is you get to meet people and do the things and like, I don't know, have those dynamic conversations of like, oh, you're doing a cool thing. Can I come and help you with your cool thing? And and now it's like, oh, yeah. I just have some bonus Zoom meetings. <laughs> so uh, it'll yes. get easier and it is already getting easier and, you know, restrictions are being lifted in the UK and, you know, it's just... yes. I think I think by the next academic year, by sort of September, October, um, I'm hoping things will be a lot better. It'll be really nice to just start teaching in person. You know, I, I've been teaching oh, these yeah, students absolutely. for a year and I've never met them. And so yeah. it's, you know, it'll just be nice. The That's the nice thing about teaching. They are. They're very, it's very down to business. Like, okay, everyone's here. Let's go. Rather than like, oh, last, last week you told me you were, I don't know, in that play or playing that sport or, you know, we don't it's a little bit harder to have those informal conversations so it is it'll be nice to to do that once once things open up again so yeah hopefully it's coming yes hopefully it's coming and so you've got your professorship but you're also an instrument scientist for lucy lucy yeah so that was the yeah so i've got some some mission hats um that are that are kind of fun Ooh. so uh yeah um i'm actually a big deadline coming up and i'll get to that so there might be another mission on the docket we'll find out in the next few weeks i think oh, so very exciting um but uh so i'm still doing some cassini work so cassini ditched into saturn in 2017 but there's still a lot of data to be analyzed so i'm still doing a little bit of that i was nice. a co-investigator co on cassini um and that was really the one that you know that was sort of spanned my early career science um I have a very big soft spot for Cassini and everyone on the mission because it was just a really fabulous international. I mean, it really did highlight what can happen when international collaborations occur. You know, it was a big ESA, uh, European yeah. Space Agency, NASA mission. And so um, I, I started working on that when I was at Oxford. They built part of one of the instruments and then carried on working on that in the States. And it was just a uh, I don't know the, the people on it were just great and it was fun and um and new horizons we've already spoken a little bit about that that went past Pluto yeah. and uh and then went on to explore Arakoth this cold classical hyperbolic object featuring Brian May um <laughs> and we're still taking data with that and so that's that's kind of fun we're still um planning observations and then there are two that are not off the ground yet literally uh so Lucy will launch in 2021 uh in October 2021 so later this year and that'll look at um, Jupiter asteroids. So those are um, asteroids that are the same distance from the sun as Jupiter, but they don't orbit Jupiter. They orbit ahead and behind in Jupiter's orbit. So they sort of lead the way or trail Jupiter. And they've never really been explored. They're quite small. And um, we're going to explore six of them uh, over about a decade. And it'll be really just, again, new exploration. We've, they, these these guys are really hard to see from the Earth because they're small and dark. Um, and we'll we'll get some great images and compositional data and really try and figure out what what's going on with them so uh that'll be that'll be fun and then the final one is Europa Clipper which is a NASA flagship mission which um is a means it's a well, I guess it's called large strategic mission now but anyway it means it's, it's a big mission lots of um yep. lots of instruments um and um I'm I'm a co-investigator on that and on the thermal instrument and that'll That'll launch, we hope, in 2023. So that's still a little ways out. Um, but 
we'll see. And um, that's going to investigate Jupiter's moon Europa, which um, is an ice-covered world, we think with an ocean and we think with plumes. And so uh, it's a, a big source for astrobiology. So that means, you know, the possibility of life outside of the Earth. And so uh, yeah. we'll be looking for activity on Europa hotspots and, and warm regions and uh, investigating the plumes. Um, and sort of basically doing reconnaissance, you know, for, for what comes next for, for understanding life outside our, our own Earth. So it's a pretty exciting mission um, that, again, it is yet to launch. And the final one is a mission <gasps> called Trident, which is going to hopefully investigate a moon of Neptune called Triton. So <laughs> lots of yeah, tries. Triton. <laughs> um, Triton. And, and Triton's really interesting because um, we think it originated in the Kuiper Belt. So referring back to an earlier conversation Kuiper is this region of space that's sort of the same distance as Pluto so very long way away yeah and we think that this um body started life there and something happened it got kicked into the inner solar system uh Neptune captured it it happened to fly close to Neptune it got pulled in by its gravity and now is a moon of Neptune and we know it has plumes Voyager 2 flew past it in 1989 and saw plumes going off and so, again, just this really interesting world that we don't really understand, uh, a big possibility for habitability. We think it has liquid water ocean. That's part of the mission plan is to go and figure out if it does. Um, and we know it has plumes. And so it, it could be a, a place where life under the ice could exist. And so we want to go back and investigate. So we put in a proposal. NASA said, your proposal is interesting and we'll give you a little bit of money. Uh, to do a year's worth of sort of further work. And so they down-selected four missions to do that. And we will find out which missions get to go on and actually become real missions, <laughs> sort of off cool. you know, stop hardware, um, hopefully in the next few weeks. So that's um, cool. Yeah, there's lots of like pressing refresh on email. Do we know yet? Do we know yet? Do we know yet? Do we know? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> so um, yeah, so if that that happens, that would be really exciting. And I'm slated to be the deputy of that mission, so that would be oh, another. Nice. That would be a big a big move for me. But um, yeah, it, it would be fun. And uh, again, just you know, anytime you go to the outer solar system, the, the times to get there are really long. So the flyby isn't until 2038. So, um, I, wow. I, I, as I mentioned, we have young children. And so when we were writing this proposal, you know, I was pregnant. And then when we found out we got a little bit of funding, I actually found out when I was nursing her. And then by the time it launches, so at launch, she'd be, at, at, we actually kind of coincide to the school year quite well. Like at launch, she would be in starting <laughs> primary school. And when we get to yep. Jupiter, she would be going to high school. And when we got to Neptune, she would be just she'd be 19 so she'd be an adult so it's sort wow. of this really like it literally spans her childhood if it gets funded it'll be um just these really big milestones you know it sort of reminds you that life is happening in the meantime you know this these big yeah, career absolutely. things but in the meantime you know your children are growing up and you're i don't know just doing the things so it'd be We'll see. We'll see how it goes. See if it gets funded. But yes, if you have some spare fingers and toes yeah. to cross, we would we would appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, definitely. That's a really cool yeah. mission that I want to go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really it's a really exciting one, and um, it's this very small, lightweight spacecraft. Um, typically, to go to the outer solar system, you need um, a lot more money than this. This one is a, a cheap version of a mission because uh, we, we're flying a very small spacecraft. Um, 
and the, the, literally the stars align uh, you know it's it's the jupiter's in the right part of the sky to give us that gravitational kick to get out to neptune in a a reasonable amount of time and so it just sort of one childhood lifetime um <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, one, one childhood instead of two um and so we're sort of a, a combination of you know stars aligning or planets aligning really and uh and just this yeah the the fact that we can use nuclear power in, in this in this type of mission um because by the time yes. you get out to neptune there's not enough sunlight to for it to be um solar powered so yeah we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens and yeah i was wondering how it stayed powered for that long to go that far but yeah that makes sense <laughs> yeah. so it keeps the spacecraft warm and it keeps it yeah just just by virtue of radioactive decay but it also um, yeah. gives the electrical power so yeah we have I think, that's cool one rtg yeah the radio radioisotopic generators and so hopefully hopefully we get to we get to do that we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see awesome see what NASA say yeah yeah see if they want to play with cool. us <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they do yeah hopefully they do yeah cool. we'll see so what does an instrument scientist do? So an instrument scientist is sort of the bridge between um, the instrument team. So that's typically engineers and the science team. So the scientists. So it can work either way. But um, in my instance, so I have a background of working on a similar instrument where I was doing the calibration and things like that. So instrument operations, but I have a scientist background. So it's sort of bringing that uh, you know, so say the engineer team think, okay, we we have this opportunity to do X. I don't know. Maybe it's run it faster, or or or, or the flip side, maybe the filters aren't letting through as much light as we'd originally hoped. Is that a problem? And so, so it's my job as the instrument scientist, with other help, of course, um, to say, okay, so I understand the engineering of this, or you've explained to me the engineering of this, and it's my job to put that into the science field, like what are the implications of that? So say the filters aren't letting through as much light. Does that mean that we're not able to see the object anymore? Does that mean we wouldn't be able to detect a certain species on the, the surface? Um, so it's sort of that link between science and engineering, this, the, the engineering of this, we're building the hardware and these are the real life, real world, you know, trades we're having to make. How does that affect the science? Yep. And that's sort of where, where I sit in that that link and so it's it's cool. a fun position so you know, so i've got this background in hardware development so i wouldn't say yeah. i understood everything about what they're building but it kind of means that i i can speak that language and then try and translate it into science so yeah it's fun but again just covid covid ruins things um, <laughs> and so i was supposed to be in the lab you know helping out but of course you know travel is much harder and and then of course the more people in the lab the more dangerous it is for for everyone in the lab and so yeah so it's been the sort of thing that i've been trying to help with remotely but yeah my the original idea was i would i would be in be in the lab getting usually you say dirty hands but of course with spacecraft everything's clean so it's sort of clean hands <laughs> you know getting your hands dirty in a clean yeah. way um in in the lab helping but um as it is it's been a bit more remote than i would have liked but you know no, nonetheless um it, it, it'll con and it'll continue to be fun you know just because now the hardware is built um, but there are still, once it's launched, you know, how do we operate it and what are the best ways to operate it? And, you know, how do we maximize the science? And so I'll be able to help with things like that. So that's that's an instrument awesome. scientist role. And it, it means different things on different missions, but that's what it means for Lucy. So that's my that's my hat on that mission. And that's very, very cool. So because you can't be in the lab, like what 
how much of the work that you do is meant to be hands-on? How much is stuff that you can kind of do remotely? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. So um, with my new hat on at Oxford, it's supposed to be a lot of hardware development, all of which has been put on hold. So I'm not doing any of that right now because <laughs> setting up a new lab in COVID times is just really difficult, right? Like you, you physically have to be there. There's no way of getting around that. But there's no shortage of data to analyze in the meantime. And so I've um, not been twiddling my thumbs. Instead, I've been, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of Cassini data. I already mentioned that. Of course, that's all on the ground. Yeah. So I've been able to get on with some other projects. So some of the things have definitely been put on hold. Um, but that doesn't mean, doesn't mean I've been bored. It just means that sort of the, the workload work. for the next three years has kind of been switched around. And, and that's just fine. So, yeah, it's um, it's been all right. Um but it'll be nice to to get into the lab and get get hands Start clean doing again. again. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's just a bit of a shame, you know. Like you, usually you'd go out for and, and just just be a bit more helpful. But yeah, it's all, it's been good, and there's um, some really great people that are doing the work. So it's not that I'm worried about it. It's just it'd be fun to, to play with the hardware. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you want to play yeah. with the hardware. That's the good stuff. <laughs> It is. It is using the big pieces of kit. I, I really like. Um, so there's a lot of um, testing. So TVAC testing. So thermal thermal vacuum testing, and there's also shake and bake. They call it. So it's um, so yep. it's uh, vibration testing. So of course everything goes onto the rocket, and the rocket gets launched. And this isn't you know a nice smooth ride. It's it's very violent and physical, and so you have to make sure that you know everything's going to hold up to that and that's always really fun because you stick things on these big vibration tables and shake them and see what comes off and you know, <laughs> things like that it's always it's always good to do and they're also very intense periods and so it'd be nice to help out for that reason as well of course you know once once something's in um thermal vacuum testing uh, you're using these big facilities that are incredibly expensive and so you you work there are 24-hour shift patterns usually at that time because yep. you don't you want to maximize um, it maximize the time right exactly because the next project is waiting for that facility as well sometimes so you know just to be able to help and take some of the pressure off would have been nice you know just to be an extra set of hands um but like i say they've, they've got it and it's been it's been fine but yes i'll maybe i'll get to play next time but for this one i've i've had to to just support from Sit afar be the official cheerleading <laughs> group looks like you're doing a great job <laughs> go team 2am you know etc etc so, yeah although it does have to be said with with small children it's nice not to be traveling as much because that's, that's you always burn some brownie points by by traveling so uh yeah i've uh, been able to be around a bit more which has been nice and so my husband doesn't do that you're going away again face <laughs> so yeah that's good i've retained more brownie points than i did when when our first was young yeah, <laughs> no, it's, all, it's all good so yeah i don't know it, I, I i really do like traveling and it's something i think we all you know lots of people miss and i'm not unique in that in any way but it's been a bit been a bit weird isn't it been all staying at home i was sort of reminiscing how how much travel we used to do and how normal it was you know the, one of the reasons we yeah. wanted to move to europe was that you know sort of travel you, you can travel on a train from london two hours you're in paris where the language exactly. is different the culture is different in America, you travel two hours and you haven't even left Colorado. Like it's it's not even a different state, let alone anything different. So that was an experience yep. we wanted to give our children, just you know, realizing that the world is diverse and 
and we haven't been able to do any of that. It, it always felt like to me the continent was so close, and now it feels so far, and that's yeah. that's one of the the problems with COVID. But we'll we'll get back to it, I'm sure, and they'll they'll experience that. But yeah, I, I miss traveling. Yeah, I, I can definitely empathize with that. I mean, Australia is sort of the same problem. You drive two hours, you're still well for us. We're still in the same state because our state's huge. Exactly, and <clears throat> I have. Because I've done a road trip in the UK, drove with multiple stops from London, London up to Edinburgh. And every stop as we're heading north, it was a different accent. And I loved it. That yeah. was the thing that entertained me the most, that every time we stopped, the accent changed. <laughs> it's definitely true. I mean, my my mom moved about 60 miles north of where we grew up. And and they would use words I didn't understand. Like, it, <laughs> I, I, like I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And like the person was like, do you have a pack up? Do you have a pack up? And I was like, uh, I have a backpack, <laughs> pack up. Like, you're going to have to help me out. They're like, you know, like a picnic, like a packed lunch. And I was like, oh, a packed lunch. Like, I'd never heard that word before. That was intuitive. You know, in years. <laughs> and, and this was just, it was literally like an hour drive. And the words <laughs> they were using were that different uh, that, that, that I wouldn't be able to understand and uh, you're yeah, right the accent's yeah. completely different and just I don't know it is nice whereas and it's quite I'm quite interested in language and linguistics and um one one thing I heard about the states this the, in cross Colorado and so, uh, there are language you know there are linguistical differences across America but largely it's standardized because of the radio which is quite interesting so you know yes the U.S. obviously was settled a lot later and so the um people people could hear other people speak whereas you know in in mm -hmm. the uk they um that wasn't true and you, you you grew up in that little local area and you probably didn't move and that's where you lived your whole life and you know became your bubble it's also supposed to be an exactly an, an antarctic accent now that um it's quite interesting that people people that go to the south pole that winter end up with that their accents kind of unify a little bit or like they oh, all end up with awesome. the same vowels. It's it's quite interesting. So the UK does have some really cool accents, some of which are yeah. harder to understand than others, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did a school trip to UK separate to my road trip, and one of the places that we went to was Newcastle. And I phoned home, and my sister lost it laughing because she said, you sound like a Geordie. It's like, <laughs> oh, I see, this is a problem. <laughs> And it's apparently funny, I sounded Geordie yeah. for a couple of weeks after I got back. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I first moved to the States, I would catch myself doing that. After 10 years, I didn't. I just had, I used a lot of American words because I got bored of the what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> elevator. Yes. It's okay. I, I should have used the word elevator, lift. Okay. Okay. Fine. And, but it, now when we, when we move back, I, I sort of have to switch back. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I used the term trash to, to talk to someone just on the street. Like I, I was picking something. I said, oh, I just dropped some trash. Like I just stopped to pick it up. <laughs> and they looked at me and I was like, oh, wait, that sounded very weird, didn't it? Like rubbish. Like I'm having to translate back again. It's kind of funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that, so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. But the you, you think that American English and probably Australian English versus in, you know, British English is so similar and yet there are so many differences so different. that that still we still it run is. into my husband and i've been married nearly 10 years and we still run into like 
what was what on earth is going on like I have no idea what you just said or like you did say that but I took it to mean this and you meant it to mean that and I didn't get that the first time (laughs) yeah it's pretty funny stomping ground was in was a new one on him like you know the area you grew up in was your old stomping ground and uh, he's like (laughs) used to stomp stomp there like I was like oh okay yeah yeah yep absolutely (laughs) linguistics is fun i like it (laughs) yeah it is but you have to be careful in science with that as well you know there's the the classic of the inches versus centimeters mars yes mars lander debacle and yeah it's um it's it's good to be clear because you can't assume that you're all talking the same units (laughs) exactly it's a big problem It is. It is a. It is a big problem, you know. And I mean, I do a lot of work between Europe and the states, and have a feeling for what those issues are. But every time you introduce a new a Japanese space agency, the Indian space agency, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, like you introduce a new you have to recalibrate again set of biases. <laughs> yeah, that you you've got to make sure you understand. Yeah, what what is their what is their default working you know units and things like that. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. The joys of international collaboration. <laughs> yeah, so it's not just time zones; it's all sorts of things that you have to worry about. <laughs> I think it's, um, I think it's nice. I think it brings people together. Science brings people together largely. I, I like that. It does. It's, uh, yeah, it's yes. fun. For, Get to for travel. All of the units meet to people. So yeah, and I, I think it takes you to places that you wouldn't necessarily like go on holiday but you get to see and be and experience and just I don't know I, I like that you get to take you out of your comfort zone sometimes and yeah it's good definitely agree with that that's great <laughs> so we might move on to some of those soft questions so what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work I I like sporty things. So I before mm. before we had kids and I had more time, I used to do triathlons. So mostly because they're ridiculous. So I, I don't really like <laughs> I don't really like doing one thing too much. So I like the idea of doing I'll swim for a bit, and then I'll you know bike for a bit, and then I'll run for a bit. And I, I always kind of like that. And I used to like doing races that were really stupid. So there was one that was <laughs> it, it was a biathlon. So or I guess it's duathlon because biathlon involves shooting but biathlon so it's like run bike run bike run so you're like shoes on change you shoes on like bike shoes running shoes bike shoes running shoes. i don't know it was just fun and it was a really fun community and really diverse and just in terms of like age and background and just you know not not scientists just people and um and anyone that's been to colorado you know is absolutely beautiful it's um it's at the foothills of the rockies and there's something like 300 days of sunshine a year and when i first got to colorado as a Brit, it's like, if it's sunny, you go outside, right? That's the mantra. Like you don't sit in on a sunny day because tomorrow it's going to be raining. And so I got there and it was like every weekend it was sunny. So I'd be like, okay, the first weekend you're like, you're right. Okay, okay we're going to go for a hike. And and then it's sunny the next day. Okay, we're going to go and do this thing. And then and then by the, like two months of that, you're like, I just, why isn't it raining? I want to sit and I want to So I think um, just the sporty, like it was just, it was, sport was easy there because everyone did it because it was just set up to do it. It was just, you know, it's mm. the, the weather was nice and um, 
so I really got in. Uh, there's a lot of um, places you could swim, like lakes and things that you could swim that were safe to do with that. And so it was just a fun community to get involved. So now, now I'm back and with COVID, of course, it's harder to get in the pool. But um, yeah, that, it was. I was very glad to enjoy things that were outside during COVID because I think some people that you know, if if you really like going to the gym, it's been a rough couple of not rough year, right? But if you if you quite <laughs> like going for a run then then you're still able to go for a run and, and that's been really nice so so any anything outside is um is the quick answer but it's it's also funny because um for me it's quite meditative running or swimming I, I find them and I often do some really good science thinking when I'm running I'll, I'll sort of be sitting at a computer and I can't get to the answer I just can't get to it and I'll go out for a run yeah. and about three quarters of the way through I go light bulb goes off and I go oh I've been thinking about it wrong okay this is how I do it and so <laughs> it's yeah it's sort of working whilst getting to see the outside it's sort of funny for me and but I think I think sometimes when you your brain takes a break it just keeps churning in in the background you're sort of there's a cog yeah, back definitely. here that's still turning over on it so anything outside and climbing I quite like climbing but we haven't been able to do a lot of it since we've been back and yeah just outsidey things outside good <laughs> yes definitely outside good are there many um because I imagine in Colorado they have a lot of uh, actual natural climbing locations. Are there many sort of those sorts of places over, I guess, in Oxford or near Oxford? Um, so there are some indoor climbing walls in Oxford and yeah. there is some bouldering. So that's where you're not really going high, but you're sort of going round a bit more. Um, yeah. And there, there is definitely some of that. I mean, Wales, Wales, the peaks, there's sort of driving distance oh, yes, things, that makes sense. things to do. Um with the little ease, it's quite tricky. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just because there's, you have to sort of pay attention to the person on the rope, but also that the small human hasn't just wandered off or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, so. <laughs> yes. A bit tricky with that. Mm. Yes. Okay. So which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably the Hobbit. Um, it's a bit, bit of an obvious sci-fi one maybe, but, um, it was sort of my, gateway into to reading sci-fi and it's it's quite accessible and it's not too scary you know the sort of yeah uh, and i think um it, the whole lord of the Rings series has a very powerful personal um i don't know association for me my my brother got very sick when he was about 14 and i was actually doing my phd and um had to be in hospital for a while and it was we really didn't know what the outcome was going to be but it was right around the time where the lord of the rings trilogy came out and every day we would watch a lord of the rings movie it sort of had this sort of reinforced this sort of story of i don't know that story of struggle and um trying to trying to do the right thing and and he ended up getting better and um i don't know and and so that's obviously phenomenal and I don't know this this idea of this journey and and where it would take you and it sort of resonated yeah. with me. And, uh, again, that story, the larger Lord of the Rings story, is you know, a spoiler alert, right? Frodo at the end doesn't he comes back home and doesn't <laughs> doesn't feel home. And I think that's always been like the idea of like where's home and where do you belong and what does that mean? And if you've been out in the world and explored it, is home still? When you get there, is it does, is it home again? And I think that's something that. Yeah that sort of broader it speaks quite uh, speaks a lot to me and but as a, as a kid I must have, I've still got the co the copy of the Hobbit that I read 
hundreds of times. And it's just a phenomenal story in itself, but it's also this gateway into this like even more phenomenal story. And yes. I don't know, it was given that my mom is not a sci-fi person, like for her to, <laughs> but also that me, I don't know, she, she would read it to me and it was a thing that we had. And I don't know, it's just, it's both a phenomenal story and it has these sort of other underlying big messages and, and connections. Me, connections so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I'm quite looking forward to my kids being old enough to to fully immerse them in geek geek literature and and, and lore. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Just they just have to get big enough to do it. They need to hurry up. <laughs> get fast, get bigger, faster. I've got some books to read you. <laughs> we need you to be age appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's only so much the tiger that came to tea that you can read before. <laughs> Yes, there is only so much of some of those that you can really kind of take. <laughs> yeah, I do spend quite a lot of my time trying to update update the story. So Tiger seems to be a classic, right? You know, yeah. mummy's at home making the buns and then has to go out and do all the shopping the next day. And, and in our story, because my, my kids still can't read or she's getting there, like there's yeah. some gender reversal going on and dad, daddy goes and does all the shopping the next morning and it's, it's quite interesting to read all those <laughs> old classic books and just make them more equitable um so yeah, yeah. once she can start reading she's going to totally catch me out on it though <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime i'll still tell the story that daddy does all the food it was funny um because i read a lot of enid blyton and i've been collecting enid blyton for my daughter uh, i did a lot of in it i've I, read I, them I all, all. Yeah. and that's another yes. one so my mum used to I, until i could read i firmly believed that was it jane jane and anne used to go and do the adventures and julian and dick used to make the caves pretty it's in the famous <laughs> five you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yes there's yes some, <laughs> there's some pretty sexist work going on in Nina blighton <laughs> yeah well it's, it's so funny because um I, I just pick up copies when I find them. Just it's, it's mm -hmm. a little bit compulsive now. I should stop. But I've got duplicates from with pub, uh, which were published from different decades. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, so I found a copy that was published in uh, was I think it's the Enchanted Wood, um, published in the seventies, and one published in the nineties. They've changed the names, mm. and they've changed their tasks, and oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. So, yeah, and I didn't realize that because when I grew up, I grew up with the 90s editions and I found these older ones that my siblings and my mum used to read. And it's like, oh, they, they, this is different. And, you know, Fanny is now Franny. And, you know, they, they were talking about the girls That's helping the mum. That's the Secret the Seven, right? Is, she was in the Secret Seven. Uh, no, this was the Enchanted Wood. The Enchanted Wood, okay. The Enchanted Wood, yeah. Okay. And, uh, oh hmm. gosh, I've just mentally blanked, but there's Bessie and Fanny. And I've forgotten the name of the boy. Anyway, but yeah. And so the boys would help dad and the girls would help mum. And they've changed that slightly as well in the newer edition. It's like, ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Oh, I'm glad to hear that because I, was it the Land of the Faraway Tree is one of the ones I used to yeah, quite like. Yeah, the Faraway um, Tree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we, I used to live on this near this mesa. And down below, it was quite green, and you'd climb up onto the mesa, and it would be, it's very flat on top. It was an old volcanic plug, actually, so it's very flat on top. And I used to feel mm -hmm. like it was the land of the faraway tree, and no one ever knew what I was talking about, because no one, I guess, in the States <laughs> reads Enid Blyton. And I'd be like, isn't it like the land of the faraway? Like, every time you go up there, it feels like it's a different land, like, to, to the one that's down below. Yeah. And they'd be like, 
okay crazy what <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah in, in, I, re I read the famous five secret seven was definitely uh I really wanted to be George from the famous five. That's the famous five. I think she was mm. quite, quite feisty. Yes. She used to row the boat. Yeah. Yes, yes, mm. yes. <laughs> quite like that. Yeah, it's funny. If you try to mention Anna Blyton when you didn't grow up in Britain or the colonies, everyone is like, I don't know what you're talking about. How could you not know what we're talking about? Anna Blyton is a staple. <laughs> it was. It really was. And I used to have a lot of them yeah. too. I don't know what happened to them. Maybe they were in my mum's loft somewhere. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those that, yeah, you bought them at boot sales. Like everyone, they just did the rounds, didn't they? they yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Do. I actually liked The Famous <laughs> Five so much that I wrote a play. Because I had a dream. Did I was you? George from The Famous Five. And then I woke up. I remember this quite distinctly. And I cried because I wasn't George from The Famous Five. And, oh, no. And tragedy. My, and my mum being mum being like, well, just write a play. And and so we had this film for a while. So then I got some friends at my neighbor's dog who was really unruly. This dog was not well trained. And so there's this, <laughs> this video of me. It was like early 90s camcorder style. Like having this adventure in our back garden where, you know, with this dog that's like constantly pulling on us and none of the other people had bothered to learn the line. So I'm like going, it's this next. <laughs> in the background. It was it was pretty tragic. I don't think it's, you know, my gateway into Hollywood. Um, but yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are some good memories. <laughs> It was. There were, were good sports for for just going. All right, sure. Like weirdo kid. Like we'll, we'll help you. <laughs> well, it's all right. You probably did some stuff with them as well. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah that's probably true. It'd be great to find that video. Oh, it'd be horrifying. You should. It'll be horrifying, <laughs> but you should also find it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, might be in a loft somewhere. We just just don't know. <laughs> try to excavate for it <laughs> and last question because i know we're kind of at time um what advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do or what advice should they ignore so one of the things that i think has been a theme through our discussion and i keep coming back to is this idea that you know don't 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 tell yourself a story about why you can't do something you know don't it doesn't matter if you're gay or you're straight or you're from privileged background or not or whatever if you want to do science and you're willing to work hard and you're willing to you know follow that passion and that dream science there's a space for you in science and so um you know, nasa needs everyone from welders to you know computer scientists to you know electrical engineers aerospace engineers you know there's there's so many careers so if you're interested in space you know follow your passion do what you love but just kind of keep it in the back of your mind because there is there's a spot for so many people and and I think just because you're not an old white dude doesn't mean there's not a spot for you because um, the the world is changing and I think it's um, that that NASA's already looking different ESA's already looking different you know these these big organisations are, are starting to be cognizant of diversity and and making sure there's a spot at the table for everyone and so I think um, just because you don't just be careful of the narrative you tell yourself because, you know, I, I'm still telling myself that I'm I'm an imposter and I've been doing this 20 years. So so if you haven't studied it yet, you know, you might feel like that, but it's just not true. Because, yeah, you just, you, it's not you just, but, you know, if if you want to do it, you know, give it a go, give it a try and you might like yeah. it and you might stay. And who knows, you know, 
the ne- the next rock star, you know, Aeros- <laughs> the next um, <laughs> rock star KBO flyby could be yours. You know, just it's out there for the taking. Definitely. <laughs> Very cool. That's good advice. My nan was a bit old school, and um, she used to say to me, "Why haven't you just met a nice man? Why why, why don't you just do that? Like why why um." Sorry, for some reason, the Backstreet Boys has come on in my ears. There we go. Oh, gosh, that's a <laughs> 90s throwback, if ever there was one. Um, and so, like, I don't know, that idea of other people setting your expectations, you know, what what it is you're supposed to do in life and what what it is that l- your life should be about. Just, you know, make it your own. Don't, don't follow other people's advice. If you, you want to do something that, you know, you think will make you happy, then, then do it. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think she came around to the idea that I think she could see that my choices had made me happy towards the end of her life could see that that was a good thing. But for a good decade, it was, I can't help but notice you haven't had a nice boy yet and got married and had lots of children. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know. But I, I did make something that went to Mars. What, no, right. Definitely still on Does the that count? What? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> uh, just, yeah, don't let other people's biases, you know, run your life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, attitudes are changing across the generations now, and that's definitely true. You know, people are yeah, and people are starting to kind of understand that, and you know, be more aware about all these other potential opportunities that there are for us, and that's cool. Sometimes we tell ourselves this dialogue about the type of people that go on to apply to Oxford to apply to, I don't know, you know, the Harvards and the Princetons and the whatever you know ivy league kind of schools that you can think of and now i i went to comprehensives i went to the local primary school and you know comprehensive school and and then um my local university and i I, as as i went on you know I, i learned that those those institutions are just they're just people and they're just people that like doing studying and and learning about the world and so you know again just don't let that dialogue ruin it for you if you you want to go to oxford then apply to go to oxford and maybe you'll get in maybe you won't but if you don't apply you'll never know and you know just that that the world is there and don't don't be put put off because you happen to be female or transgender or you know whatever whatever you think your disadvantage is just just know that you're having done admissions to oxford recently i was really heartened by the fact that those things didn't matter you know it was about how how rigorous was your science? How good were your grades? All the things that those those metrics that you would hope to be to be taken into consideration were, and 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 those those background questions were were less so. So, just a word of encouragement, really. You know, just just follow your work hard and follow your dreams, and and uh, good luck. It's uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff in the world, and so yeah, I don't want is. people to be put off by the wrong reasons. Exactly. Because you don't know until you try and yep. see what happens. Exactly. Cool. Excellent advice. So thank you so much, Carly, for joining me today. It's been amazing talking to you, learning about all the cool stuff that you've been doing, all the amazing, <laughs> I mean, my goodness, the number of projects, how much multitasking is involved there? <laughs> a little bit. And, it's, yeah. uh, ca- electronic calendars help a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's been so cool learning about 
all the projects that you're working on, how you got there as well. I mean, yeah, you said it's, you know, a bit of luck, a little bit of, you know, putting yourself out there and giving you a shot. And that's amazing. And yeah, absolutely. Props for pushing through that imposter syndrome, just to make sure you, you know, you do the things that you want to do and, you know, the stuff that makes you happy. And that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's still a battle I face, but um, it's maybe it gets a little easier as you, as you get older and you win a few of them and, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a, maybe I can do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get a couple of wins under your belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Very cool. And if people would like to learn more about what you do, where can they go? My Twitter handle is very unimaginative. It's Carly Howick. <laughs> so yep. that's definitely a, an easy, an easy way of staying in touch. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. And I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. It was nice chatting. It's been brilliant hearing about the Lisa mission, not to mention what we can learn about icy worlds. The common theme when space water comes up is the hope that we find proof of extraterrestrial life, but really all the research potential of these missions is pretty enticing. It's also inspiring to hear about how, despite having that persistent sense of being an imposter, Carly has taken punts anyway and pursued what she loves to do. It's a good reminder that when taking chances, don't just consider the risk of failure, but think about the opportunity for reward. To learn more about Carly and what we discuss on this show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steam Powered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Carly on Twitter at Carly Howard, the link for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it, subscribe to this podcast and share this with your geeky or geek-curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon and Ko-fi under Steam Powered Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.